Welcome to the Beltway Broadcast, the premier podcast for the workplace learning and talent development professionals of the Association for Talent Development's Metro DC chapter. We've got some great resources in store for you today. Hello, fellow ATDers. I'm Stephanie Hubka, a chapter past president and a member of the pod squad here at the Metro DC chapter of ATD. And I'm Leticia Niago, the 2022 president-elect. We also have Helena Hodges, our vice president of finance and operations, as our producer. For this episode, we are interviewing a recognized organizational development practitioner specializing in training, coaching, and facilitation with a focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and intercultural competence, the president of MSM Global Consulting and an adjunct faculty member at American University School of International Service and the author of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for Trainers, Maria Marukian. Welcome, Maria. Thank you so much for having me. We are thrilled that you're here today. And before we get into today's topic, which is diversity, equity, and inclusion for trainers, we would love it if you would tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, absolutely. So I am originally from Detroit, Michigan, uh, although I've been living in Washington, D.C. for quite some time now, but I still think of Detroit as my, as my home of origin. I grew up in the suburbs of Detroit in a very sort of what you would consider probably a traditional archetype, white Christian, Midwestern (laughs) upbringing. Um, And it certainly was. And at the same time, there was always a little bit of an undercurrent of difference. I grew up in a multicultural family. My father's side of the family were refugees twice over. uh, And my mother's side of the family, my mom actually grew up in a tiny little farming community in northern Michigan, where for generations, everybody spoke Polish as their first language. So even though she was fourth generation uh, US citizen, her first language was Polish until she went to school. So I always had this experience growing up of on the surface, looking, sounding, and experiencing the world in many ways, as one would assume somebody from a white Catholic uh, middle-class U.S. upbringing would have. And yet at the same time, I also had these experiences and these cultural norms that were always a little bit different. So I think that really kind of set the path for me when I think about what has guided me in my personal and my professional journey, I've always had this desire to kind of look underneath the surface of who people are and have an understanding of the multiple dimensions that make us up and influence our behaviors, our beliefs, our interpretations of one another, and the experiences we have in this world. So that's a little bit of the personal background. Uh, I think it's really kind of um, been a core part of my choices uh, as I, you know, as I went through my academic and professional pursuits, there was always this focus on trying to understand the human side of organizations and how people interact and how we understand and misunderstand each other. And what are some of the, the competencies that we need to be able to not only communicate better across our differences, but to truly build connection and to build communities and organizations where everybody feels like they can thrive, where we can look with courage at some of our history that has led some to have advantages and some to have disadvantages. So that's really been at the core of my of my work um, as an organizational development practitioner. I've worked in 
every sector, nonprofit, federal government, corporate, as an entrepreneur, um, owning my own business. But that that has been the thing that has always kind of centered me is uh, building connections and creating space for people to learn more about themselves and one another. I think connection is just so essential. So it's so interesting to hear you talk about how your background and experiences have really influenced your career journey and makes me very glad that we are here today to talk about such an important topic, which of course is DEI. DEI has been a very critical conversation in many of our workplaces, especially over the last couple of years. I think for many organizations, it's it's even been longer than that. But really, there's been a great spotlight on DEI over the last couple of years. And I know for a lot of organizations and perhaps for a lot of employees, it can often feel as though DEI is something that really needs to be approached from that highest, maybe executive level. And so I'm really curious from your perspective, how does DEI impact talent development practitioners? Oh, great question. Yeah, to your point, uh, it's definitely become much more of a focal point in the last couple of years, although diversity, equity, inclusion is not a new subject. And we've been working at this for so long. And I do think that part of the reason for that is this is very complex and it does require a collective effort. It requires active commitment and support from the very top. And it also requires knowledge and commitment from the people who can really influence change at that structural and cultural level. And that's why I think that training and talent development professionals play such an integral role in helping to affect long-term sustainable change for DEI because, you know, talent and development professionals are, they have an opportunity to touch everybody across the organization. And not only are they responsible for, you know, sort of supporting and building that organizational structure where there are policies and practices in place that recruit top talent, but it's also how do we ensure that Every aspect of how we learn and what we learn in the organization has a, is reinforcing diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I think talent development professionals play one of the most important roles when it comes to helping to really create that sustainable change, to build that, to implement DEI into the entire learning infrastructure. It's really empowering to hear you talk about it that way, especially because, you know, for a lot of talent development professionals, there is always that aspect of being able to touch so many parts of an organization. And I know it also sometimes can feel like we're not necessarily in that space. And I'm curious, looking at some of the the common responsibilities that a lot of TD professionals have, for example, design and delivery of training programs. What does it look like to start to integrate DEI into that type of work? So even beyond some of those conversations and looking at sort of the global perspective in a company, I'm wondering what thoughts you have around some of those specific areas, how you might be able to incorporate that into your day-to-day and how that could shape some of the work that you do. Yeah, there's so much. I think it's uh, twofold. And the first is ensuring that every organization and everyone within the organization has access and that there is a an expectation that people are going to experience really engaging and affirming DEI-focused training. Because there mm. are specific competencies that everybody within the organization should have. We need a shared language around what we mean by DEI. 
we need common understanding and skills to be able to acknowledge and manage biases that exist, both our own and other and, and those that sometimes others are experiencing, because it's often easier for us to see other people's biases than they can see themselves, right? That's why they're sure. blind spots. But it's also, it's, you know, it's looking at how do we ensure that we are proactively communicating in inclusive and respectful ways and engaging in constructive conversations when people often unintentionally may engage in behaviors that are exclusionary, uh, that are inequitable, that are perhaps uh, harmful to folks, especially those who are coming from vulnerable populations. Um, so I think providing really effective, skill-based DEI training for everyone, and that should also start with people in top leadership positions. It can't be something that we roll out just to the workforce and don't actually take the time to ensure that, that it's really important to model those behaviors or doing so on a regular basis. And then the second aspect is it DEI concepts should not just live in a DEI training. And I think this right. is where there is so much opportunity for growth and expansion when it comes to what TD professionals can do to really embed this into the organizational infrastructure. And so my uh, recommendation for a lot of TD professionals when I'm working with them is look at your entire learning continuum, all of the content with a DEI lens. Who is represented? What are not only the names that we're using and the images that we're putting in our, you know, in our slides and our, our participant materials reflective of diversity that exists in our, in our country and our, you know, in, in our organization, but also whose voices are we amplifying? Who are we putting out there as credible experts? Whose, whose books are we citing? Who are we quoting? When it comes to showing videos, um, you know, I often uh, think about the, the number of times that I have seen, whether it's TED Talks or videos that circulate, you know, for example, in, in terms of leadership and management skills or books that are often cited. And nine times out of 10, it is white male, older, mm -hmm. often, you know, coming sure. either from a Western, you know, Western vantage point, US or Great Britain. And so are we being intentional about expanding beyond that and representing the full breadth of perspectives and knowledge and subject matter expertise? And that's not just for leadership and management, that's for whether you're teaching uh, you know, budget and acquisitions or finance mm. or anything, how are we ensuring that we're representing um, diversity across the board? And then it's also looking at making sure that the content itself is also inclusive and equitable. So thinking about it from the lens of accessibility and, and how people are going to, how we make sure that the, the learning space is comfortable and accessible for everybody, whether that's people with physical or mental disabilities, uh, neurodivergence, right? Folks, you know, who have different ways of processing information and may need yeah. to receive that learning in a different way. So those are just a couple of examples, but I think it's really bringing that DEI focus to the entire continuum. Um, yeah. And that's where I think we really see change happen. Because if you think about it, you know, just as human beings, the more that certain concepts or visuals and images are reinforced, right? I mean, it's just the, that when we have that as the constant, it becomes the software running in the back of our mind that becomes our reality. 
and we don't see it as different. We don't see it as unique. We don't see it as atypical. It just becomes a part of who we are, what we do, how we think about things. I'm so glad you mentioned that. And especially from the accessibility standpoint, we had a conversation on the podcast not too long ago talking a little bit about how accessibility isn't just a nice to have or a, you know, something that gets layered on top of training that you've designed. It's something that needs to be integrated in from the very beginning because it's impossible to build inclusive training if you are not thinking about your entire audience from the very start. So it's really nice to hear that that's something that is kind of a tip and not even a tip, really a practice that we really need to look at incorporating into the work that we're doing on a daily basis. Absolutely. And it's often when it is not my lived experience, mm. I'm just, I, I don't know what I don't know, right? And so I am often, whether I realize it or not, and I, I'm literally saying I, Maria, because I fall yeah. into this trap all the time, right? I'm building training programs that work for me. Yes. <laughs> and I'm not yes. necessarily thinking until I take that step back and say, I need to challenge my assumptions here. I need to challenge how am I building this? Who am I building it for? And who might I be missing? Who's not going to have the same or the most uh, effective experience based on the way that I'm building this training? So, you know, it does require intentionality. And sometimes it requires a little bit more effort, time and resources, especially the first time around, the first couple of times around. But the more we make it a common practice, the less of a perceived burden it becomes. I can see that. And I'm thinking too, I really, you know, as we were talking about this, I was thinking about it from the concept of design and delivery. But what you're really sharing is that this starts long before that. This is a needs assessment sort of task. This is building things into the very beginnings of the work that we might be doing. Absolutely. And I love what you mentioned about, you know, with the things that have taken place in the recent years. There are a number of organizations that do have formal development programs for women, for example, or other underrepresented groups. Do you find that those tend to share diversity success stories and tend to do a better job at mentoring these groups? I think it depends on the situation. There are definitely, I think there are organizations that have a leg up because they have been prioritizing DEI in different ways. For, for a longer time. So they're not starting from a blank canvas. And yet I also think that can sometimes be a bit of an impediment because then some organizations fall into the trap of assuming, oh, well, we've already done that. I, and the way we've done it works just fine and let's just keep, keep the status quo rather than taking advantage of this opportunity where we are in a state of for lack of a better word, disequilibrium. We have been over the last couple of years just facing turmoil after turmoil. And uh, and I think that that is, it's exhausting and it's frustrating in so many ways. And, and I think that there's also this rich opportunity as a lot of these issues have become more at, at the center, as we have had more voices of people who perhaps have been drowned out being heard and as we see organizations and leaders really starting to challenge themselves to think beyond uh, the way that they've considered DEI in the past. So for example, uh, to your question about perhaps whether it's employee resource groups or training programs or mentoring programs for women, for example, there has been, I think, a shift in terms of the way that we, that many of us are 
embracing training programs for for women leaders, for example, and saying, we, we can't just look at this as we're going to help you to develop your confidence. We need to take a step back and look at what are the systems that have contributed to women consistently being left out of the conversation. And rather than putting the onus only on women to try to fend for themselves, to negotiate, to, you know, uh, to lean in, I think those are all important elements and skills that we do need to, to continue to reinforce. But we also need to ensure that we are eliciting the support and advocacy of men, especially men in power, right? And similarly, having more informed and honest conversations about the fact that women's experiences in the in any organization are not universal. And for women who are part of the Black Indigenous people of color community, BIPOC community, for women who have, uh, you know, physical or mental disabilities, for women who are part of the LGBTQ plus community. Those are added layers of complexity and we have to address that, right? So I think what we're seeing now is that if organizations and TD professionals are willing to say, okay, what do we have in place that provides a foundation and how do we need to build upon it considering where we are now and what we know? I think that's where we need to go next. Wow, you make a very good point. And I wonder what we can say to these talented professionals who may not uh, fit that uh, prototype, so to speak, to feel encouraged to be part of the solution when maybe their organization doesn't have a plan in place or may not be considering it. It is, I think it's helping uh, those who are interested in being champions for DEI and perhaps unclear of where to start, giving them some tools and also helping them to maybe identify some quick wins. Uh, because depending on the organization and, you know, to your point, Leticia, the, the level of commitment on the part of senior leadership that's going to inform not necessarily the overall success of the initiative, but it is going to inform the length of time that it might take for progress to be made and where those inroads can be. So I think helping TD practitioners to identify where are those quick wins, what are the areas of need or concern from an you know, executive level from a strategic level that we can connect some of these DEI goals to so that it doesn't feel like this additional item that we have to add to our to-do list. This is absolutely critical for our organization's success. And we need to just find ways to connect it constantly back to the overall strategy, to the, uh, to the overall sort of trajectory that the organization's on. A really easy way, I think, to do that these days is to simply put forth some of the raw statistics of our demographics, the changing population, you know, just even looking at the United States. We've seen incredible change in terms of the demographics in our country based on a lot of historically marginalized or underserved groups. For instance, you know, the numbers of 
in, in our population of people who are, you know, part of racial and ethnic identity, you know, that are that are not white, right? Uh, people of color, um, are the Black population, the Hispanic and Latino population has increased. And we're also seeing trends in terms of uh, birth rates and death rates that are showing the path forward that increasingly our country is going to be more and more of a mixed race there's not going to be a population that is majority white in the near future. When we look at the uh, the LGBTQ plus population, I just saw a statistic just in the last couple of weeks, the Gallup poll put out that showed that there has been a significant increase um, in the population of adults in the U.S. who self-identify as LGBTQ plus. And that is largely driven by Gen Z. In fact, the the poll that the Gallup uh, folks put out identified that over 20% of Generation Z adults identify as LGBTQ+. That's a huge differential when you think about um, folks who are part of the baby boomer population and even Gen X, that the numbers are far smaller. So, And we see this in terms of diversity with religion and religious affiliation, with you know physical and mental ability. And so I think Time and again, just being able to say to or organizational leaders, hey, you want to hire the best and brightest? You want to be an employer of choice? Not only do you need to consider the fact that the population is changing, but you also need to consider the fact that the workforce of today and tomorrow has significantly different expectations for how to work, who should, you know, who should be represented in the workplace. And if your organization does not demonstrate a really visible and deep commitment to DEI, a lot of talented professionals are not going to be interested in joining, or if they do join, they're not going to stay. It is incredible to hear the story that the data tells, because we all know that this is a really essential conversation to have, but adding some of the data, the statistics, what we know about up and coming generations within the workforce, it really helps to solidify the necessity of making this an ongoing conversation and ongoing work that all of our organizations are taking on and really making a centerpiece for how we're building the kinds of connections and communities that we want within our organizations, whether it's internally with our customers, whomever it might happen to be. And I think taking a look at the data is it's a fantastic tip, really. I'm curious if you have any additional tips or strategies that we should keep in mind as we're embedding DEI into our work. Yes, I think in juxtaposition with the data, have the data, right? Data speaks yeah. volumes. And at the same time, um, to your point, there has to be a story connected yeah. to the data because this is, this is human-centered work. This work mm -hmm. requires us to really lean into storytelling, perspective sharing, uh, and, and empathy. And so yeah. I think where I have often seen organizations really struggle in terms of embedding DEI concepts in a, in a meaningful way is that either they focus too much on intellectualizing DEI without mm -hmm. taking the time to explore the heart piece, or they... Uh, sometimes there's such a centralization on, we often call it the blame and shame, right? Mm -hmm. uh, where oh, sure, we, sure. Where we focus on, you know, I think there's there's absolutely, it's critical for us to have very open, 
honest and raw conversations about the, you know, the truths and the realities of people who have experienced inequities. And we need to do it in a way that invites everybody to be a part of the conversation. Uh, and we have seen incredible progress in terms of organizational culture change when we bring a dialogue approach, when we invite everyone to be a part of the conversation, when we invite everyone to explore to share their own personal stories and to listen to one another's stories so that we're all in this together. And we can find ways to gently call out one another's blind spots, especially for those who, you know, it's it's just inevitable that the more privilege I have, the more likely it is I'm going to have blind spots because these are aspects of my life that um, I just don't have to think about every day. Um, but we need to bring a gentleness and and some grace for people who are exploring this um, often for the first time. And I think that's where my often my my number one recommendation to people who are doing this work is you got to embrace the mess. This work is complex. There is no easy recipe for doing DEI. We've all been struggling with this for a very long time. And so we're not yeah. going to automatically fix it in a day or a week or a month. And also because we are, if we're doing this right, we are disrupting systems that have been in place for a long time that have led to comfort and, uh, you know, sometimes just some lack of willingness to, to question. And so I think it starts with just being willing to get into the mess, to be uncomfortable ourselves if we're the facilitators of that mess, right? I have mm. to be willing to just say, I'm not going to get it right all the time. I have been doing this work for 18 years, and I still sometimes say or do something that uh, is going to potentially tick somebody off. And if I can bring some humility, if I can bring some openness to accept and honor the feedback that people give me. And if I'm also willing to stay in that discomfort and keep pushing against some of those blind spots that I might have or that others might have, that's where we see change happen. So the messiness can be very frightening for many of us, uh, but that's where the true growth happens. So that's kind of the number one that I will often uh, put forth to, to folks. Um, it's just, let's, let's get messy together. And then I think the other thing is we have to consistently serve as models for this work for the rest of the organization. And that means that we always have to hold the mirror up to ourselves. So for anyone who's involved in training and talent development, um, anybody who's involved in DEI work, uh, we're human beings too. And we bring our own complex identities and experiences and biases to any situation. And so if I'm invested in this, I really have to be truly willing to take a step back, to really be in learning mode, to embrace that, that teaching of being the endless learner. And I have to make sure that I am constantly doing my own knowledge development and exploring elements of, uh, you know, of other people's identities or of society that I don't have as much access to or that I don't have as much insight into. So for me, it's not about, and I don't think for any of us who are doing this work, we can't be trying to one-up each other. And, uh, you know, a colleague of mine calls it the woke Olympics. Um, oh, yeah. It's, you know, it's not <laughs> about proving to everyone how how exceptionally knowledgeable I am about DEI. It's more so about being in community with others. Yeah. It sounds like it's really about growth and giving ourselves the grace to get it right and wrong, but it really ties back into that growth. Wow. Yeah. Thank you, Maria, for your eloquence in sharing these tips and great strategies. Now, you know, at the end of every episode, we like to ask our guests 
rapid fire style questions. And each question requires less than 60 seconds to respond. Are you ready? Ooh, okay, I'm ready. I'll do my best. You know, you can't you can't ask a trainer to speak in less than 60 seconds. You know, all of our anything oh, so that should true. be a sentence, we turned it into a paragraph, but I'll do my best. So true. That's the challenge. That's what's so fun. So give us one book that everyone must read and why. Mm, I have so many books I love, but I, I'm going to narrow it down and say uh, Cast by Isabel Wilkerson. Because it is an incredibly well-researched historical deep dive into the history of inequality across humankind and in particular in the U.S. And so she explores, you know, these artificial hierarchies uh, that originated that sort of put people into places and upheld um, systems that gave, you know, that kind of centralized power and wealth, um, often by exploiting certain groups. And there's one thing that she says that I think is so powerful, especially in this in this work around DEI is that, you know, the reason that caste, that inequality, racism, institutionalized oppression, whatever you want to call it, the reason that it's so powerful is not because it's coming from individual hatred, right? But it's not personal. It's the she calls them the worn grooves of these routines the the you know again that sort of software that's constantly running in the back of our minds those patterns of that's just the way it is the natural order of things that's what's so insidious and that's what we have to constantly be sort of butting up against and questioning and challenging and it's really incredibly hard work but if we do it if we keep doing it that's where we start to really develop some collective wisdom very interesting choice. Uh, what's one tool that you can't live without? Mm, curiosity. Um, for me, curiosity invites everything, all the other tools to the table. And so especially when I'm facilitating challenging conversations, I need to make sure that I am checking myself. Am I staying curious in this moment, even if somebody is reacting or showing up in a way that is frustrating or distasteful to me or, you know, somebody with whom I fundamentally disagree on where they're coming from, can I stay curious? Because that's where I build connection. That's where I, it drives compassion. It makes me more mindful and empathetic. It helps me to really be in a place of listening. And I also end up learning a lot from people that I never would have expected if I didn't lean into that. That's a very good one. Thank you for sharing this. I love it. Last one. Okay, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Mm, such a simple and profound one. And my it comes from my father, who always stands out in my mind because he had just always these little jewels of wisdom. Uh, but he said, you know, there is always more to the story. And he was a history teacher. And so this used to drive me crazy when he would pull this on me when I was a kid because I would ask him, you know, okay, I've got a homework assignment. I need to know something, you know, I have to write a paper dad on the Korean War. Just tell me what I need to write. And he would sit back and be like, well, to understand the Korean War, you really have to trace it back <laughs> to the war between the Russian Empire and the Japanese. And actually, no, you really have to go back to China and Japan. Actually, if you really want to go back to it, you have to look at Russia's attempt in the 17th century to, you know, on and on and on. And two hours later, I would emerge just with all of this data and the stories and just dizzy. But it was so valuable to me, especially as I really began to do the work that I do now to recognize that there's always more to the story. 
And it's important for me to encourage myself and others to acknowledge that complexity, that these things often stretch really far back. And there are always multiple perspectives that are uh, that are present. And so how do we create room for those multiple perspectives so that we can address these challenges in a way where we're looking at it from a 360 viewpoint. So yeah, my dad always stands out to me as the as that little pearl of wisdom there. It's kind of like advice and a gift all at once. <laughs> That's lovely. I did not appreciate that gift when I was in middle school and just wanted to <laughs> finish so I could watch TV. <laughs> I bet you didn't. Yeah, that is a long-term gift, not a short-term gift, but a gift nonetheless. Maria, it has been a pleasure learning from you today. I feel like I walk away from our conversation with far more knowledge, far more you know, just general tips and ideas for how I can really centralize DEI in the work that I do. I know our listeners feel the same way. So thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And of course, Leticia, I couldn't do it without you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, this was amazing, Maria and Stephanie. Thank you. Many thanks to all of you in our community for listening. And before you go, we have a message from our producer, Helena Hodges. Are you interested in learning more about the Metro DC chapter of ATD or following us on social media? Go to dcatd.org and click on About. Check out dcatd.org for upcoming chapter events, learning programs, member benefits, and so much more.